The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. The reading is from Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is God's word. So we are in a series called The Nativity, and in... A cool God moment. As we were putting this series together, the graphic design artist had said, hey, I'm thinking of taking the nativity from the word native, because that's where the nativity comes from. It means native, to be of original place. And so we ended up going with this Texas theme of what it looked like for the nativity to be placed in Texas. In fact, that's where we're leading up to for the one Christmas Eve plug that we'll do before we show the schedule. Um, we're going to be doing a country Christmas. And we're going to be retelling the nativity through the eyes of what would it look like if Jesus came back to Leander, Texas? Who would he invite to his birth? What would the journey look like for Mary and for Joseph? So that's what we're building up towards. But getting there, we've been going through each of the stories of the nativity. And today we're going to be looking at the shepherds. Um, And so we're going to do that. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. We'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, God, you are a God who has better plans than we do. Lord, oftentimes we think that we've got a better understanding of the world, a better understanding of what needs to happen and when it needs to happen, and yet, Lord, as we encounter you through your word, your timing, your plans, the people you invite, Lord, they make and put together something more majestic than anything we would see by ourselves. Lord, we pray that in this time you speak. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So in thinking of the birth of Jesus, what I've been thinking a lot about are the royal family in Britain, right? Because if there is one family that does social media better, I don't know who it is, right? Anytime they get married, anytime they have a kid, right, it is an entire nation that rallies around a literal figurehead, right? They have no power anymore. The royal family has no official capacity, and yet... When one of the children gets married, 
when one of them has a child, everyone from Beyonce to presidents, everyone is notified, everyone gets invitations. They do it right. And you compare and you contrast that with the birth of Jesus, right? The Son of God coming to earth, and it is just so radically different, especially in today's reading where we learn about the shepherds and we learn about how the birth of Jesus came about. And we're going to read through the story again, and I'm going to deconstruct it for you because sometimes we get so used to the story, we kind of forget, this probably wasn't the way to do it, right, God? I mean, it just seems weird. And it starts right off the bat, right? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place under Quirinius, uh, we'll say that's how to say it, was governor of Syria. And everyone went to register to their own town. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child, baby Jesus. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to a firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. All right, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the story of Mary and Joseph. We talked about how it was neither of their expectations, it wasn't in their plans to have this baby, right? Mary was supposed to get her dream wedding. Joseph had a woman that he was in love with. Things were going well, and then God showed up, and it Record scratch, right? But they're like, okay, we're, we're on board with this. We'll, we'll do this Jesus thing. We'll do this Son of God thing. We'll do this, you know, virgin pregnancy thing. Fine, we're on board. But then the next thing that we find out is the census gets taken. And this isn't like going from Leander to Cedar Park, right? This isn't a half an hour drive that they're taking. No, this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem is going to take days and it's not like they can just stop by, sign their name, and then book it back. No, they've got to stay in this town for a duration for the census to take place. So here's Mary, nine months pregnant, has to take this super long journey. Maybe has a donkey, maybe doesn't have a donkey, right? This is not the plan. This is clearly not the right time, right? Then they show up in Bethlehem, and we normally think of the manger, right? And it's a cute little picture, and it's good. But the more we do in history, we find out it's probably not a manger. It's probably a cave. It's a cave where you would keep your livestock because it would keep them out of the rain. It would keep them out of the elements. And that is literally the last place that is left when baby Jesus is born. This is not the right time. right? God, couldn't we have just waited a month before that census had to come out? Couldn't we have just, you know... Couldn't it just have been Joseph who would have made the trip? Mary stays with her family. But no, they're in a foreign town where there is no room. The timing is just absolute garbage. And I think in our life, we can feel that way sometimes, right? We lose a job. Or we get a phone call up from the doctor. Or we have all the plans laid out perfectly, chronologically in order, and then one record scratch hits. And it's like, God, the timing of this is just hard. And the story doesn't get much better than that, though. Right? It goes on, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes in line in a manger. And suddenly a great host, company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. This is the birthday invitation to Jesus. This is that email that you get saying you are invited to. This is that letter that you get for a wedding invitation. It's got the really nice embroidery on it. The thing is, the shepherds weren't the right people to invite to the birth of the Son of God. They weren't the Beyonce's of the world. They weren't the presidents of the world. They weren't the power brokers, the rich folks in the world. No, shepherds literally spent all their time with livestock. They were the people when they walked into your house, you knew it. Everyone knew it because they smelled, because they were dirty. Oftentimes, shepherds were the literal outcasts of society. When you read the story of Jesus' birth, it's almost like the angels mixed up the invitations, right? Like they heard the wrong thing. Hey, I need you to go to this house, and somehow mixed in translation, the text message got wrong. It's the wrong people. It's the wrong time. And then the story goes on, and it starts to look like the wrong plan. Because when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things up in her heart and pondered them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is a really bad media plan. The shepherds don't have the followers on Instagram, right? They don't have the giant Twitter accounts. They don't have the influence and the platform where when they say this amazing thing has happened, people are going to listen, Right? It's one thing to say, okay, Jesus is born, there's not a lot of people there, but there's got to be some kind of way to get the word out about what God is doing. And God's plan is to use the shepherds, the outcasts, the people that smell so bad that other people literally don't want to be around them. That's who's going to be the first people who tell about what Jesus is doing. None of this makes sense. It's the wrong time. It's the wrong people. It's the wrong plan. And again, I think in our own life, when those record scratch moments happen, it can be really easy to think, God, wrong time. You're doing this to the wrong person. And this is not the plan. And yet when you look at the story of Jesus' birth, when you look at the story of Scripture, you begin to find out that no, our earthly perspective does not do nearly as good a job as God's heavenly perspective and his heavenly timing, people, and plan. And again, you see this throughout Scripture, but this comes from Galatians 4. 
But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. But when the set time had come. So we talked last week about two types of time in Greek. Kronos and Kairos. Kronos is chronological time. Ten o'clock comes after nine o'clock. But in Greek, there is a way to say the right time, kairos time. And what we find throughout Scripture is that God specializes in that kind of time. That God's timing, his track record of sending help, sending people, sending his spirit, sending his power, sending his plan, his timing has a ridiculously good track record. He doesn't leave his people out to dry. He doesn't leave us out to dry. He's not looking chronologically at time. He's looking for those divine moments, those divine interceptions, where he's going to get the biggest bang for his buck, where his kids are going to get the biggest bang for his buck. And we see that in the story in the life of Jesus, that he knew the exact moment to send his son to bring us into the family of God that divinely appointed Kairos moment where he shows up and all of a sudden everything else changes. His timing is really good. And then those shepherds, well, there was a plan for that too. This comes from Ezekiel 34. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. This comes as a prophecy about who the Messiah is going to be and what the Messiah is going to do. And in Ezekiel, the shepherds of God's people are the rulers of that day. They are the priests of that day. And Ezekiel calls out to them and he says, Hey, you have not been doing a very good job of taking care of the flock God has put underneath you. So so God's going to do something. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Oh, I am against the shepherds and hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land. They will feed in rich pasture on mountains of Israel. I will tend my sheep. I will have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with 
justice. There's a reason he goes to the shepherds. It's consistent throughout all scripture. God talks about how we live in a broken world. There's darkness and it's easy to get scattered. And we, we still see that darkness. We still feel that scatteredness. All of us can be led astray. All of us can feel isolated. And what we see throughout Scripture is that God calls people to help bring the flock back together. God knew what he was doing when he went to the shepherds. It was his declaration of saying, this is why the Messiah has come. To be that shepherd. To be the one who understands what it means to go and gather the flock, to protect the flock, to provide for the flock. The right plan, the right people. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why does he send the shepherds out? There seems to be a faster way to get it done, better people to get the job done. Again, the shepherds, they're the outcasts. No one wants to hang out with them. God, they're not powerful enough. They're not smart enough. They're not articulate enough. They're going to mess it up. We find in Scripture is that the stronger we think we are, the more we limit God. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And he says, look, I understand what hardships are like. Three times, he says, I had this temptation. I had this thorn in my flesh. And I begged God, take it away. It's limiting my ministry. And Paul hears the response, my power is made perfect in your weakness. We find in scripture is that God's plan depends on his strength, not on ours. And when we're able to be vulnerable with him, when we're able to say, you know what, I don't have it all together, but I'm still willing to show up, I'm still willing to lean in. I'm still willing to take part. Well, that's when his power, his light, his plan is actually going to reach its fullest potential. Because in those moments, it's not by our strength, it's his strength. And his strength is a lot bigger than ours. It's not limited by our own broken perspectives, our own broken plans our own limited light. It's like all of a sudden when there's that gap in us and then there's that crack in the armor, light just pours out and it changes everything. You know, when it comes to the story of the shepherds, one of the things I find comfort in is that oftentimes when the timing isn't right in my life, when the people aren't right in my life, 
when the plan really isn't right in my life. I can experience that chaos, that hurt, that insecurity, like it's the first time that it's ever happened, right? When that record scratch happens, our first response is like, the world is caving in. I have no context for this. This is just not the plan. And so in that moment, we can let that emotion, that reality, be truth. But faith at its best, at its strongest, is when it can look back and say, God, how have you provided in times of record scratches before? In my own life? God, have you ever not given me daily bread? No, I'm literally here because I've always had daily bread. Everyone in this room is here because God has provided daily bread. He's been faithful in that. And when we encounter scripture, what we find are moments where when that record scratch hits, God actually was doing something bigger than his people imagined. And so in the story of the nativity, our faith is strengthened when we're honest with God. This doesn't look right. God's son being born in a cave, being visited by the smelly outcasts, and then the smelly outcasts being the ones who go out and say, hey, God's kid is here. The hero is here. It doesn't look from an earthly perspective like it's going to work. And yet what we find in Christ is, no, it worked out perfectly. It all went according to that kairos timing, that divine moment where God showed up, and it changed everything. I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to take a little bit of time of Reflection, time to sing, a time to kind of sit in the fact that we have a God who fights for us, a God who has a timing and a plan, who specializes in using people from the island of misfit toys. That's all of us. And then we're going to be able to encounter that God in communion. I'd ask you guys to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. honest that often when things don't go according to our time with our people and our plan, Lord, our first response is to have a lack of faith or to rebel, to chafe, to get angry, to push away from you. Lord God, we come before you now honest that often we are intentionally leaving the flock. And yet, Lord, we come to the good shepherd who promises to seek us out individually, to hunt down us as strays, and to bring us back into community and into relationship with you. Lord, we come before you now asking for you to speak into our lives. Lord, for your power to be made perfect and great and divine in our weakness. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.